Well, good morning to you. We're so glad that you're here today. We are um, walking through a great series um, about taking up your cross. And I agree with what Keith said, that God often calls you into something that is out of your comfort zone. And I remember the very first time that I ever got up to preach, a bit like what Justin was doing. Uh, But I was a lot older than him. Um, And I remember my first Sunday, the pastor, you know, was like, hey, you need to, you need, if you're going to do this, here you go. And I remember my wife, uh, how many of you have ever watched a NASCAR race? Okay, they hold up that sign. Well, my wife was holding up an imaginary sign. Slow down, slow down. <laughs> she was just, the whole time, slow down. I was so nervous. I was trying to read fast. And it was a, it was entertaining. They just, uh, but it's just cool when God calls you to do something, he's, he's calling you into something typically that you are out of your, you're out of your safe zone. Uh, I rarely does he call you something. Oh yeah, I can do that. And you're like, oh, I'm not sure I can do that. And so we're, we're walking through this great series. We're going to be in Mark chapter one, and then you're going to have to put a finger there and go all the way to 16, but we'll get there in just a second. And so we've been talking about what's this idea of taking up your cross? What does this really look like for us? So I got to do a little rewind because it's important because it sets the foundation for where we've been for the last several weeks. And the idea behind this is when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, what was he really talking about? Well, here we go. Let me give you a couple things. We die to self-determination, to running our lives, and surrender using Jesus for our agenda. That's part of this thing is taking up our cross is not, it's less about us and more about Jesus and that we're not using Jesus for something else. We're not trying to dazzle him with our moral behavior. We're not trying to get some brownie points by how we live our lives. Where it's like, if I'm going to surrender and take up the cross, that means Jesus becomes front and center. The second part of this is living our lives in an awareness of who Christ is and what he's done for us. That taking up your cross is an awareness that when you take up your cross, you're going to live for God because you are aware of what he has done and is doing in your life. And you take it up and it is a joy to take up. And way back a few weeks ago, we talked about this, that Jesus asked the most important question in regards to taking up the cross was this, is he said this back in Mark, he says, who do you say I am? He was talking to the disciples, but he asked the question, who do you say I'm? Because that's the most important question, because if you don't know that it's Jesus, and you don't think Jesus is the centerpiece of your life, you're going to come up with something else. And he asked his disciples, who do you say I'm? Because to get that right means you're going to likely take up your cross and live for him. And so he talked about that. He also said in, in Luke 4, 14, 27, he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He is telling us that your cross is personal to you. you you're not taking up a parent's cross or your spouse's cross or your children's cross or somebody at church's cross. You're taking up your cross. It's personal to you. And the other thing I I learned out of this that was really helpful to me is talking about taking up your cross is this. It's worth it. See, when you count the cost, when you say, who does Jesus have? It is worth it. The 11 disciples said, it's worth it. I will go to my grave taking my cross because what Jesus has done for me is amazing. And so we talked about that. We talked about this idea that when you're taking up your Christ, it's a public thing. It's not a private thing. It's more, it's not about how you hold up a sign saying Jesus loves you. It's more about living your life out in the mon- amongst people and being light to the world around you at school, at college, at work, 
with your neighbors, with your children, grandchildren, extended family. It's about living that way and being very public about that. And I remember this too, that Jesus gave us some promises that when he said, take up your cross, he didn't say, good luck with that. I hope you figure it out. I love this. I said this to you last week. When Jesus was talking to his disciples at the end of Matthew, he said this out of Matthew 28, 20. He said, I'm with you always. That's a promise. That's not a, I'm thinking about it. And the other one's out of Joshua 1, 5. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so when Jesus says to take up your cross and live him, it's not a burden. It's a joy. It's a privilege. It's an opportunity for us to take the cross and say, let me just tell you what Jesus has done in my life and what he's doing in my life. And I think when we take up the cross in that light, it's appealing to people to see this is what Jesus is about. Jesus is doing this. So in this, in this context, what we're about to look at in Mark chapter 1, you're going to see that early in this Jesus is telling you kind of the framework about the disciples that he picked. And and some things that were really interesting in that culture was this. Pupils chose rabbis. Rabbis did not choose pupils. Pupils looked around like if you wanted to be disciple, you would look around for the very best person. You go, I'm going to choose Corey. Well, Jesus reversed that and he started selecting people, which was not culturally what? You're choosing? I, we choose you. You don't choose us. And it's interesting, this choosing is, is referencing that Jesus chose us to go. He chose us to go. And I love this too, because when you look at what we're about to read here in just a second is this. Jesus, in choosing them, took them right where they were. It's really important. He took them from right where they were and was going to do his work in them. He didn't ask them to all of a sudden be this moral or fixed. He didn't say, you can join me after you've done these things. He said, I'm going to take you right where you are and we're going to begin this journey together. It's really cool. The other thing is that in, in that culture is this. Jesus was, he, he, what he was doing was disruptive because in that culture, you found your identity in your vocation and in your family. Your value, you were assessed, was the family that you were brought up in and the vocation in which you did. And so he was turning that upside down when he was going to come be my disciple. This was a new thing. There wasn't a lot of this going on. Matter of fact, there was hardly any. And so he says, you ought to come with me. I want you to, I'm going to change your, your, I want to change your identity. And Jesus used verbiage that they could connect because he says this in just a second. He says, you know, you're going to be fishers of men. Well, many of them, that's what they did. So they, okay, I can kind of get that. And here's the other thing I've learned is that when Jesus calls you to take up your cross, he's asking you to do it promptly and completely. Okay? He's asking you to do it promptly and completely. It isn't our decision to go, I don't know, God. I don't know if I want to take up my cross today. No, we don't get to choose that. If you're going to take up your cross, you better do it promptly, yes, and completely, all in. Okay? That's what he's called. That's what he called his disciples to. That hasn't changed for you and I. When he says, take up your cross, He says, take that and live it out for everybody. He says, do it promptly, do it completely. That means do it now and do it and you're all in, okay? Now, how many of you have had um, either yourself, your spouse, your children, or grandchildren, you've asked them to do something and there was a delay? 
I see lots of heads nodding. How many of you, it was your spouse? You asked them to do something and it was a delay. They were going to get to it eventually. Don't, not, not, don't give those looks. Are you listening to this? No. How many of you had children that you asked them to do something and they eventually got it done? Whew. You know, new to this parenting thing that Beth and I are learning, that you know, when you ask a child to pick up their shoes or to put something away, um, and they, they, they get to it, and they say that they're going to do it. You know, and we, we have to remind our little ones, like, you haven't done it yet. You, you say you're going to do it, but you actually haven't done it yet. And I think when you think about that, that we live in a culture that I'll get to it eventually. I remember when I first started working, I was uh, out of high school. I, I was working at Dillard's and on their, on their dock loading and offloading. And we were super busy. And my, bo- my boss was he, was, he was, he was being cranky and I was being snarky. Not a good combination. And so he's, he goes, I need you to move faster. And I said, well, I'm going to pace myself. And he goes, you need to pace faster. And I think when you, have, when you, when you ask somebody to do something... And they're kind of him hawing and they, they're going to get to it eventually. What Jesus is saying when he calls you is like, now and all in. Not, let me think about it. Let me get to it. Let me, let me meander around over here for a while. Uh, I'm always reminded of the family circus photo where the mother tells the son, come straight home. And if you've ever seen it, it just, he goes everywhere. He eventually gets home. It just takes a really long time, and there's a big journey in that. And so, when he calls the disciples, he says promptly, now, completely, all in. All right? So, he's not, he's not waiting around. He's not going, well, I'll get back with you once you've made some considerations on this. He's not, no, no. It's, he's like, I want you, you're all in on this. Okay? So, let's get there. He says this, uh, starting in verse 16. He says, passing along the side of Sea of Galilee, he saw... Simon and Andrew, the brothers of Simon, were casting nets in the sea, for they were fishermen. He saw. This is, I want to catch that word for just a second. Saw them. They weren't sitting around going, I wish Jesus would do something with our lives. I wish, I wish, I wish he would just put me in a place of service. I wish he would just know all of my abilities. I think one of the reasons that Jesus selected some of these people is because of the work they were already doing. They weren't sitting down. Man, I sure hope God will just do something with my life someday. But I'm going to wait here until he does. I'm not going to do much. I'm just going to kind of sit. And I think what Jesus, one of the things that Jesus saw, he saw a work ethic. Because their, their kind of work is hard. Their kind of work is real hard. And you see that he says he saw them. And this isn't the first time that he's seen them. So when you see this account, sometimes you need to make sure you go back and look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all connected because they've had encounters with Jesus too. This isn't like, oh wow, they just left. He says he saw them fishing. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will, and you will become fishers of men. Follow me and you. And so they understood kind of this idea they saw some things that Jesus was doing that people were following and that they were going to be helping him, but they didn't have, they didn't have a full picture, not fully sure yet. So he says that to him. He says, follow me and you, I'll make you fishers men. And it's, look at verse 18. Thinking about promptly and completely. Look at that word. 
verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. They didn't go, mm, let me think about it. Um, you know, God, this is kind of a big deal. You know, Jesus, you're asking me to go with you. Um, this is a family business. This is, I just can't, I can't go. This is not, oh, no, no, no. Let me, let me, let me, let me talk to my family. Let me, let me kind of just, let me process this. Verse 19, so let's, let's, let's just see how he builds on this. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his, his brother, who were in their boats mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And look at what it says in verse 20. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired servants and followed him. They got up and said, Jesus is calling dad. Um, family business is back in your hands. See, in that culture, the whole plan was you would pass your business on down. It wasn't sold. It wasn't given away that if Corey was my son, then I would pass the family fishing business on to him. And I was training him for that purpose. And so all of a sudden, Jesus walks up and your boy and some other family are going, Dad, we're going, um, okay, I got, I mean, he's, his calling. See, taking your cross promptly and completely those guys did it completely. They said, man, they didn't argue with him like, you know, Jesus, my dad's got the family business. He's near retirement. You don't understand this. I can't just leave him alone. Uh, well, God, you know, what, what am I going to do? Um, it, let me just tell you, God is aware and God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. And when he calls you to do something that's really hard, you, you take a gulp and you go, okay, God, taking up your cross means it's out of my comfort zone. It's out of my comfort zone. Um, I was the youth pastor, most of you know, back from 98 to almost 2004. And during that season, my, my mom had a lengthy bout with cancer and died in 2003. And I remember that um, the church that I was talking to, uh, Western Hills Church, Baptist Church in, in Topeka. Um, Mom, it was just, it was that season, and both my sisters live really far away, and I remember telling God that um, I just can't leave Dad here by himself. I just, I, God, I can't leave Dad here and do what you want me to do. I, I really just, and I, there was this tug of war with, about taking up your cross and doing what God asked you to do. Because just like the disciples, I remember that day vividly. And I was like, man, God, I'm just, I'm going to stay at Pleasant View because I want to be near dad. I want to take care of dad. I don't want him to be by himself. Um, you know, mom's thing was long. And, and, and I remember that God's like, you know, I know what I'm doing here. And, and then God gave me this revelation of this woman named Joe who needed some work done in her house. And let me, uh, let me just tell you, I didn't know that that was going to happen and they, they obviously got married. But the cool part about that is that God knew that for me to take another position, He would take care of my dad by bringing Joe into his life. And when that happened, it released me from being this tug of war of, I want to take care of my family and I want to honor you, God. And God's like, I think I can figure this out. 
And I think what he was telling the disciples, if I'm asking you to do something, this will get taken care of. It always does. See, we like to think, God, are you sure you've thought through all this, God? And God's like, really? Really, you're going to ask me that question? Really? Yes, I've thought through it all. And so they leave dad, take up the cross, follow Jesus, and that, this is this amazing journey. And so look, let's go back and look at that again. He says, and Jesus said, and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They don't fully understand that, but they've seen enough of Jesus that they go, I think I want to do this. Let's go. So if you're taking notes, this, uh, this insert sometimes for some of you, just good note-taking thing, the follow me is pretty simple. Know Jesus, love Jesus, model Jesus, and pursue his calling. That's what he was asking the disciples to do. Know Jesus, love Jesus, model Jesus, and pursue his calling for you. I pursued my calling. It, it, it trumped my comfort over my own family. But God said, I'll take care of this if you'll just let me. God's always doing that, by the way. When he asks you to do something, he's, he's not working only in your life, but all the other ancillary things around you, just so you know, okay? And I love this. I was just working on this and getting notes and everything. And I love this. The second part of this is when he calls you, he's called you to follow a king. He's called you to follow a king, not another disciple, not some religious figure. He's called you to follow a king. And when you think about that, you're following the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That should give you goosebumps that you get to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And I love what A.W. Tozier said in relation to this. He said, in every Christian heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the, Christian, and the Christian is on the throne until he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Powerful. And so one of the things about going to the cross is we are being called to die to ourselves. That it's not my agenda. It's not my desire. It's not my will. And let me just help you out. You'll fight that your entire life. Because the moment you think, ah, God's got full reign, then you kind of pull it back and you're like, I kind of want this. I kind of want to do my thing. And God's like, no, you don't get to make that choice. You don't get to make that determination. And so you get this very early journey. He calls the disciples to a journey with him for about three and a half years. And in that three and a half years, Jesus is pouring into these guys. They are witnessing how he handles the religious leaders. They are seeing him do miraculous things. He is teaching them about what it means to be a bearer of the cross and what he was willing to do. He was telling them all the things and they were witnesses to tons of things. Tons of things. And so think about this for just a second. You have experienced God. You have seen him at work. For many of you, it was your salvation moment and lots of things behind that. But isn't it also true that when a hard season of life comes, you kind of forget. You kind of get distracted. You kind of look at whatever it is and you kind of forget God's promises. You kind of forget all that God has done. I just finished reading a great book about suffering and he talks about that, that how much that affects your theology. That your theology can either point you to the fact that Jesus is still on his throne despite this, 
or it can get hijacked by the suffering that you're going through, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever. And the disciples were there. The disciples were reeling because he called them. They witnessed a whole bunch of amazing things. And then they witnessed something they weren't really hoping for. They saw their guy die on a cross. And they thought, what now? Even though he said, I'm going to die, but I'm coming back. Even though, because let me, despair, suffering, woe is me, whatever it is, sidetracks all of us. And we don't hear the promises of God near as well as we should or remember them. So the disciples are in this woe is me, what now? I, I gave my family business back to my dad and now this guy, he's gone? He's gone. What do I do now? And so what happens? Okay, so let's look at, let's look at what he does. So let's get up here. Jump over to Mark 16 now. I'm going to go over here all the way. We're going to get there. And so you see what he does. He's, he, he's talking to him. And you see this in verse 12 of 16. He says, after these things, and that means after his life, death, burial, and resurrection, okay, the disciples are going, what do we do? Where do we go? He says, after these things, he appeared to uh, another form to two of them, and they were walking in the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they didn't believe him. That Jesus appeared to us, and they were like, oh, no, he's gone. It's not, oh, what do we do? Oh, where do we go? And so then you get in verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at a table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Look at this. Look at, look at how quickly they had descended. Unbelief and a hardness. Like, what do we do now? I, I'm, I'm going to have to go back and ask for my dad a job. What, I, I, I said I would be fishers of men. I, all these questions... And they were all struggling. It wasn't just like, there wasn't, you didn't have this Joshua and Caleb saying, certainly we can go do this. You had them all kind of going, woe is me. They all became Eeyores in that moment. Oh, I don't know what we're going to do now. Woe is me. All of them. And let me just tell you, when you get around, when you get around a few woe is me people, man, that can just pull you down. And you forget all the promises of God. So he rebuked them hard because they had not believed those who saw him after he had been risen. So he had people come and say, Jesus is alive. They're like, well, I don't know. Even though he had raised people from the dead, even though Jesus had healed and cast out demons and had done, had fed and had cost, if, if he, if a storm, he stopped storm and he could, they, you forget all those things when you're in, when you're distracted and woe is me and man, life is not unfair. And here's the other difficulty. When you're stuck there, you're not taking up your cross. You're not. You're not taking up your cross. And verse 15 says this, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Now, the, the word go, this is also in Matthew. You also get the idea, same thing in Acts. He says, go completely and promptly. You, you're all in. You, you get to, you take those two words, take up your cross, go. You don't, go, so go is not saying, mm, let me see. It's go now. 
Let's go. Take the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. And for some of you, when you hear the word gospel, don't go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Certainly that is an ac- somewhat accurate, but that, this is, the ask, when he says take up the gospel, first off, they didn't have those completed. They were in writing. So when you, when you, somebody says take up the gospel, it is taking up the story of Christ. And I want to give you this kind of definition. Like, like when, we, when we enlist Collegiate to work at Super Summer, one of the questions we ask them is, can you explain if a kid wants to know what the gospel means, what would you say? Well, maybe this will help you. Maybe it, I hope it does. The gospel is not a new plan of salvation. It is the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation that began in the garden and was completed in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. The gospel story is both historical event and a personal relationship. Okay? So if somebody says, it is, it is the story of Christ redeeming us. And it began way back in the garden. Okay? And, if, and it all points to what Jesus did on the cross, but more importantly, his resurrection, which shows us the power of a living God. And so he was said, take that message with all authority, back to Matthew 28, and go to the world. And look at what he says at verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever believes. Now, here's the cool part about this. When he says, take up your cross, it isn't your responsibility to convict them. That's Jesus' job. We're just messengers, but we need to do an effective job in doing that. Verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these will be signs that will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and they will drink any kind of deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So that the Lord Jesus, so then the Lord Jesus, after he has spoken to them, has taken up into the heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Now, now when you read all those things, whoa, those are some crazy things. What it is saying is, is that God will give you the power to do anything. Okay? He will give you the power. It's not you. It's not, it's not a group of you. It says that he's, he's basically painting this picture. Think about when, when back when Moses was before Pharaoh, he picked up a serpent. And we know other stories where people were bitten, some di- lived, and some died. And so what he's saying is that I'll give you the power to do a lot of things, but it won't be yours. It'll come from God. And you'll need, to, you'll need that. And he goes, you're going to preach that Jesus is waiting at the right, a living Savior. And verse 20 says this, and they went out I love this. He said, go, and he says, and they went. See, we are to be, we are to go, and we are to go and do this thing, to tell others, to live our lives taking the cross to the world around us. Don't point them to the church. Certainly that helps, but they need to see living examples of people doing that. They need to see people going, this is what Jesus looks like. Okay. He's, he's not perfect, but he's showing me some things. He's showing me some character qualities. And in verse 20 says, and they went out and they preached everywhere. Think about this for a second. Everywhere. That means the places you don't want to go. That means the places that are scary. That means the places that are out of your comfort zone. They went everywhere. They went to the people that, oh, I'm not going to tell them about Jesus. They're not interested in these things. They went everywhere. They went and preached everywhere 
And I love this. This is such a great verse. They went and preached everywhere while the Lord worked within them and confirmed the message by accompanying those signs. When God tells you to take up your cross, He is working within you along the way. He is sharpening you. He is giving you confidence. He is equipping you. He is helping you to overcome sin issues. He's helping you to work through areas that you go, man, God, there's no way I can do this. God, there's no way. I'm not skilled. God, I've never done this before. God, these are people I don't know. I don't know enough Bible. I don't pray enough. I don't read enough. I don't, whatever it is. And God's going, I know, and I'm going to help you. I love this because it shows that God is working in us when we take up the cross. See, if we're not taking up the cross, there's not much to work with. This is hard, by the way. I used to tell students at Super Summer all the time that the enemy, Satan, loves a dormant Christian. The enemy loves a dormant Christian because you are, you're not really doing anything. You can check the box that you went to church. You can check the box that you went to a summer camp. But when you get excited about Jesus, when you take up your cross and you live it out, then all of a sudden you become a threat to him. And that's where, you know, when somebody says, man, I've just, a lot, there's been a lot. Let me just tell you that the enemy wants to do anything he can to squelch somebody who's excited about Jesus. He's going to pour cold water. He's going to throw things your way. He's going to try to distract you, discourage you. He doesn't want you taking up your cross. He wants you to live dormantly, quietly, like a whipped dog. And so that no one around you goes, oh, they go to church? Yeah. Man, I'm not going to that church. That person looks dead. And so when Jesus says, take up your cross, Jesus says, while you take up your cross, I'll be working in you. We're going to do some stuff. I'm going to help you. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to walk with you. And I love that verse. Is they went out and they preached everywhere to the people that they weren't even sure. While the Lord, while they were doing, God was working. See, you can't ask God to do something in your life until you're actually willing and doing some stuff. See, God wants to work in you while you're in the journey. God's not, you know, Every step of my spiritual journey, I've looked back and I've seen God saying, when you step up and you actually jump into this game, I'll do some stuff. I, I can't do something with somebody who just sits idly, doing nothing, waiting, hoping. And so he's like, I will do this and people will see what I'm doing through you. People will see that I'm at work. They, people will acknowledge that Jesus is doing this in this guy. I mean, you have to think about that. Just think about the disciples. They were uneducated. They were people that didn't grow up with the right pedigree or the right education or the right culture. They were, the, the, the fishing jobs were considered, I mean, think about tax collector. I mean, they were jobs that were like, oh man, you're a disciple? Great. But Jesus chose them because he wanted people to see that he could do some amazing things in their lives. And so I would say to you that when you think about taking up your cross, it's often going to take you out of your comfort zone. It's going to, it's, you're going to go, this is a new identity. I've got to have to work here. There's going to be some things I've never done before. And God's like, I know, and I'm going to help you. And I'm going to work in you while you're doing it. And so the couple things that I, I, I glean from that is this. Boldness comes from being with Jesus. 
You are not going to be bold about your faith, about who Jesus is in your life, if you're not spending time with him. Folks, I've been with you for almost four and a half years, and I've told you that if Sunday is all you get of Jesus, it's not enough. You need more of him throughout your day, throughout your week. Your children need to see it, your grandchildren, your spouse, your co-workers. They need to see that Jesus is at work in your life, shaping you. The gospel, let me help you out here. The gospel needs messengers. It needs messengers. The pool I have of messengers is small. You, we all have a pool of people that we can, we can, we can live for Jesus, and, ha- and we have this pool. And he's like, when he says to go, he says, "I'm going to be with you, but you go. Take the message. Take the message and go." I'm excited about Justin and Ian because they're graduating seniors. I know them very well, and I'm grateful that they're in our student ministry and have been a part of our student ministry all the way through. And. One's going to Missouri, one's going to another state and in Ohio. And I'm thinking both of them have an opportunity to take their cross of Christ and live for God there and to do it well. And we as a church have participated in preparing them for that journey. And we'll get to see stories. And that's part of a uh, um, number of years ago when, when we were, uh, when we went from Scott to Don, I was here kind of in that in-between time, and Bob Mills was our pastor. And I'll never forget a sermon that he spoke that the church ought to be an aircraft carrier launching people off into ministry. I have never forgotten that. And that what we do is equipping people, and we help them to take up their cross so they go. And that's part of what we do every single week we come together is reminding you to take up your cross. That means when you take up your cross, it's worth it. And I'm going to live for God doing it for the world to see. Not in some arrogant show, but that I want people to know that I've got this relationship with God and I'm, what he did, it's worth it. It's good. And so you see that the gospel needs, that there's boldness with being with Jesus. The gospel needs messengers. And in the going, God does his work in us. And I think back, going back in my life, and I think back at how God has worked. But you know, one of the important parts about the working is I had to do my part. I had, I had a part in this. I had, I had to say, God, I want to do, I want to honor you. I want to surrender. I want to be wherever you want me to be. Um, I like Justin and Ian, uh, when I was in high school, uh, my desire was to be a marine, uh, or excuse me, a zoologist, which is basically the study of animal behavior. And the only reason that I wanted to do that is because of Mutual Wild Kingdom. How many of you remember that show? You could probably sing the whole thing. Mutual of home. Okay, never mind. Uh, and so I watched that, and I watched um, any animal show that came on. And so I wanted to be that until I was in ninth grade at Carleton Junior High, which is no longer there. And we had to do a vocation paper, which meant that write a paper about what you want to be and do as I was 14. And so I'm like, this is easy. Zoologist, here I come. Here I come. And and so one of the things you had to do is you had to go into a textbook that showed you the requirements to become this zoologist, which I had never done before. 
And I was astonished how much math and science. (laughs) And I knew I was never going to be a zoologist. And I remember I got to the thing it says required classes. And I, you know the first the, the 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 gen ed stuff front end was like Pfft. but I got to the core classes below and I was like uh, botany, physics 3, math I, math words I couldn't even pronounce and I, and I remember I remember distinctly going what am I going to do with my life? Because I had thought this I had thought this. This was it. And I sunk in that I was not going to be that. And I, I was like, okay, God, I still love animals. I still love watching those shows. But I knew that was not going to be my vocation. And I remember that, that God started to work because I was asking him to work in my life to say, what next? And he said, I got a plan. And over a series of a couple of years, he revealed to me that I would go into ministry. And I had never, ever, 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 ever thought about that. My father was in ministry after retiring out of military. And I saw the, the, the challenges of ministry. And I was like, mm, I don't know. I don't know, God. And God was like, yeah, well... I'm going to take you out of your comfort zone. I'm like, God, you don't understand. I don't read well. I'm not especially in public. God's like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. And I was like, oh, God, but you don't understand. God, I don't have this education. Yeah, I know. God, you don't understand. And I, and I was throwing up all this stuff and God was like, take up your cross and let's go. And I will work in you as you go. See, when God tells you to take up your cross, that means God will do what he does best in you, but you've got to be willing to take it. He's not going to do it beforehand. He's going to do it while you're doing it. Because that's when you get out of your comfort zone. And that's when you get out of the areas of your life. And he says, I'm going to have you. When he grabbed those guys and he said, come, we'll make you fishermen. They had no idea what was up for them. They kind of knew. But the things he did and things he showed them was in preparation that they would be the carriers to the next generation of people in the church in Acts. We have that same responsibility. The going is where God does his best work. He doesn't do much work while you're waiting. I don't know, God. I'm just going to wait here till you figure it out. Man, just go. Go, go live your life for God. C.S. Lewis said this, and I'm done. He said, the great thing, he said, the great thing is to be found at one's post as a child of God, living each day as though it was our last, but planning as though our world might last a hundred years. He's calling us to be faithful to take up our cross, whether Christ comes back tomorrow or a hundred years from now. But you're going to take up your cross and you're going to live for him. And while you're, while you're taking up your cross, he will work within you. But you've got to will it. You've got to say, okay, God, here, here. Let's pray. Father, I believe in a room with this many folks, there are some, there are probably a few folks in here that to take up their cross means they need a relationship with you. And that really is where it begins. You can't take up something that you haven't surrendered to. And I pray for some in this room that maybe the most important thing that happens to them today is that they begin a relationship with you. And that's where the cross bearing begins because they see what you have done in their life and are doing. 
I pray for this room, God, that the, the going, their feet are cemented in clay. They're paralyzed by their past or their present. They're, they're uncertain of all the things that are ahead of them. But God, you have said clearly that when we go is when you work. And you ask us to do it promptly and completely. Not looking back, not looking over our shoulders, not asking a lot of questions, but saying, God, okay, you're going to do your thing. And I pray for us, God, that we will bear your cross in a way that reflects you well. I pray, God, that we will honor you with our lives. I pray, God, that we will, we will stand in, in complete awe and say, taking up my cross is so worth it. And I stand today before you saying, thank you, God, for the privilege of that. God, for the next few moments, there might be some reflection time of being up here just kneeling and praying um, and just reminding us that this, the going is the hard part. There may be some in this room, God, that to take up the cross means they need a relationship with you and they want to talk to myself or Corey. There'd be no greater joy. Father, for the next few moments, remind us of what this is about. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I'll ask you to stand.